Good morning. I trust you've had a good morning. Um, we'll be looking at uh, Colossians chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles, I'll ask you to uh, turn there with me. We'll be uh, closing out the book uh, this morning as I've been uh, working through a study on Colossians, and uh, we'll wrap it up uh, this morning. Before I begin, we'll just, um, by way of final exhortation, because this will probably be the last time I teach or have the opportunity to uh, be in front of you. Um, It was uh, eight years ago and four days exactly to the date that I first preached in this room. Um, So how appropriate it is to kind of conclude, I guess, hate to go that route, but as the Lord leads, you just go where he leads. And so um, he called me to teach or preach uh, back in New York. And there, there I had a, a dream, and it was um, one that I'll always remember. Um, I don't know about your dreaming, but I rarely, rarely dream. I rarely remember them. But this one was very, very vivid. It was um, kind of a labyrinth type of situation where I found myself and uh, uh, Satan, Satan was there. And he had, he had one in chains. He, he had him bound. And I, I like, conversed with Satan. I said, you only have one. He said, that's all I need. All I need is... One, and I thought, okay, Lord, where, where do I go from here? And it was that that He sent us here to Topeka, and to be uh, ministering in capacity of chaplain to the police force, uh, various jobs, wherever I I went, it just seemed like the Lord was with me, reaching out to people, reaching out to people. I think that sometimes we get overwhelmed with the population of the world and say, well, it's just way too much. But think with me, if you can, just one other person that needs to be released from the chains of sin. Christ wants you and me to go to that one that needs to be released. And my prayer is this morning that it could be you. Maybe you need to be released this morning. Um, If you have been released, then he's called us to go and release others then. So let's look closely at uh, Colossians chapter 4. If you remember, um, Colossae was a city in Asia Minor, not too far from Laodicea. Paul is writing, he's writing this letter at the time of his imprisonment in Rome, approximately 61 to 63 A.D., We learn of this situation in Acts chapter 28, verse 16. After his imprisonment, Paul then is able to return to Greece, Asia Minor, during three years' time, 64 to 67. Then in 67, he's arrested. He's taken back to Rome. He's beheaded, and there has uh, some 30 years of ministry concludes at his beheading. During the Roman two-year imprisonment, it is believed that he wrote the four letters than what we would consider to be the um, prison epistles, uh, Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians that we'll take a look at, and 
Philippians that was written close or near the end of that two-year period. Uh, The church at Colossae was not started by Paul. Uh, He talks that he never met them in chapter 1, verse 2. But he heard of their faith in chapter 1, verse 4. As far as we know, the church was planted by a name of Epaphrasus, who had come to Ephesus to hear Paul, and then he returned back to Colossae and preached the same good news that Paul had told him about. And so Paul keeps in contact with Epaphras, and then, um, as well as the church. And he wants both of them to grow, and he supports both of them in his correspondence. So in this book, Paul has addressed some of the wrong beliefs. Um, and we'll see some of that this morning. We've touched on quite a bit of it in the past. Um, wrong beliefs that were entering this particular church. The question was, following: do we follow Jewish law? And then we've got this Gnostic heresy that's coming in. Gnosticism, if you remember, it's the belief that earthly elements um, must be escaped in order to reach or enter spiritual light. During the Middle Ages, Gnostic followers, the Albigerians, they pounded glass into powder to drink it or eat it to get rid of these flesh bodies of clay in order that their spirits would be then joined to God. Today we have some of the things handed down to us that influence our Christianity. For example, that the notion that our bodies have such little value that they're corrupt, they're defiled, they're worthless, and so this idea of cremation comes into play and that we can be cremated in order for our jars of useless clay to be getting rid of. However, Christ and what he speaks about in the New Testament, our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And Romans 12 says clearly that we can consecrate our bodies to him. And so this heresy has been handed down through all these years. It's uh, come widely known. One of the famous ones is the uh, Christian scientist. So these are some of the, the concerns that Paul is dealing with as he addresses, he writes to this church in Colossae. He also, for the first time, expresses the supremacy of Christ, that he is, has all authority. He's just not the head of the church. We see Christ's supremacy as well. And we'll take a look at that as a quick overview. But it's really Christ is the head of the entire cosmos. He's in charge of everything. All power is in his hand. All things, all creation is under his authority. In this, Paul is saying that Christ is concerned then. His concern is over everything. Creation was not really essentially evil as heresy was teaching them. So Paul then, he prays. He prays for them as he seeks to spend time teaching them and training them in the words that he writes to them. A quick overview then of the four chapters. Chapter 1, we see the supremacy of Christ in that when we are filled with Jesus Christ, it's equated then with spiritual growth. 
And he does that for us. In chapter 2, we find the freedom, freedom from human regulations through the life of Christ. Chapter 3, it's the holiness of Christ that we put it on, and it's in us. It is our life. And then we will see then here in chapter 4 some final words that he wants to give the church. Let's look again uh, together then. Chapter 4, um, we'll start in verse 2. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Let's look together then at, at a final, final sermon. Keep on keeping on persevering in prayer. Attend to it diligently with the offering of thanks. Praying for us also that God may open a door for the word, speaking about the mystery of Christ, for which I am in bondage, literally tied up, so that I may take it plainly as I've been obligated to tell it. Conduct yourselves wisely toward the outsiders, using your time to the best possible advantage. Verse 6, then, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to uh, uh, reply to everyone. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, we praise you, that we can come together, gather together to hear what you want to say to us. Father, it's word of truth. It's the whole truth. It's nothing but the truth. Lord, speak to us right where we're at, individually and corporately as a church, and we'll ever praise you and give you the glory for what you want to do in Jesus' name. Amen. A final, final sermon. Four things we want to take a look at. Could be four steps, four points. First is devoting oneself to prayer. Step two or point two would be that by devoting oneself to prayer, we would pray specifically for an open door. Step three or point three, be ready in your conduct to show those outside of Christ what it looks like in Christ. Then finally, that we would be ready with our speech, that it's seasoned with salt. Devoting oneself to prayer, what does that look like? Devotion would be a strong love or strong zeal to set apart a person or a thing for a special example, for a special purpose, for a specific thing or element. As we were doing here this morning, we would set an hour, an hour and a half, or two hours, specifically devoted for the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 gives us a real good picture of the early church. Acts 2, 41 to 47, verse 41. Then those welcomed his message were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they persevered, they 
kept going in devotion. They devoted themselves in the apostles' teaching and in fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. Awe fell on every soul as many wonders and signs took place in Jerusalem through the apostles. Verse 44, the believers all met together and had everything jointly. They sold their property, had their belongings, and they distributed it to all that had need. Daily, they frequented the temple together and they ate meals at home together. They received nourishment, praising God with happy and sincere hearts and enjoying the goodwill of all the people while daily the Lord added to the group those that were being saved. This is the early church. Early church is exciting. It's exciting. Why? Because... They're growing. They're not only just growing, but they're meeting the needs of the people. They're devoting themselves to what God wants to do. But that just doesn't have to be the early church. It can be, it can be any church. Lord willing, that would be every church. Devotion. Devotion to prayer. What does that look like? For you and for me, are we devoted to prayer individually? Are we devoted to prayer corporately as a church? It's not how it works. It's that it works. This morning, um, very early in the morning, um, heard some rustling and out of the closet door came our big cat. He's a big cat. He's about this big. He's, he's, he's more like a small bear, it's, and he's full of fur. I don't even know my, if my wife knew how he got in the closet. I don't even know how he got in the closet. The key issue was that he was in the closet, not how he got there. And so prayer is like that, too. It's not that how it works, but that it works. And we know it works because God is in our prayer. And it's Him who makes it work. We have a little clip on our refrigerator. It says, when we work, we work. But when we pray, God works. D.E. Host, the man who took over for Hudson Taylor, he wrote a book, Behind the Ranges. He was uh, trying to analyze... What was going on in his ministry as he's there in these two different villages in China? So he's got two different villages. The one he's 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 just he's he's all his energy, all his time, all his encouragement, all his training is into one of the villages. Over on the ranges is this other place that he frequently visited. He he just goes there now and then. They seem to be doing all the, when he goes and sees them, they're doing great. They're, they're doing terrific. He'd come back, and he's, he's struggling over here with this village. He'd go back again and, and discover that these people are fine. This village is doing great. Came to him, Lord, Lord, what is going on with these two villages? Why is it that this one is way up here and this one I'm spending all my time, all my energy, all my wheels. I've, I've got everything just going into these people. They're not doing as, 
is good. Lord, show me. And the Lord did. Host found out that he was praying for this group far more than he was with this group. That's what it was. He came to the conclusion that it's prayer. Making disciples, that's what his goal was there in China. Making disciples, there were four, four key ingredients for making disciples that he discovered there in China. Following up Hudson Taylor. The first one was prayer. The second one was prayer. The third one was prayer. The fourth was the word. In that order and in that proportion. Prayer. Devoting oneself to prayer. Paul is exhorting, he's encouraging the Colossian church to devote themselves to prayer. Secondly, well, we can pray specifically. Pray specifically for number two, our second point would be pray for an open door. Pray specifically for an open door. It's not only just the open door, but it's a door in which the Word of God is able to come clear, become clear in order to speak about the mystery of Christ. What's he talking about the mystery of Christ? What does that look like? Well, it's Christ in God's redemptive plan for all peoples, both the Jew and the Gentile alike. Look with me, if you would, as Paul explains this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 and 27. I rejoice, excuse me, verses 24 through 27. I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my own flesh and body for his sake and the church. I have become its servant according to the commission of God that he gave to me that I'm giving to you. It's the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations but it is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's you and me, this glorious riches that are in this mystery, catch it here, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The mystery is that the good news the good news just didn't stay with the Jews and the Israelites. The good news has come to you and me. The mystery has been solved. It's Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to all people. So we're not just devoting ourselves to prayer, although that's what he wants us. But he's also saying be evangelistic in your praying. Have a chance. Pray that there would be that chance that Christ will use you to win somebody else to Him. Christ wants someone, me and you, to be available that wherever we go, we are able to explain 
the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Allowing them to wake up to their thoughts about who God is, who Jesus Christ is. Helping them then to discover where their hope is. Where their hope is. We have the opportunity then to determine just by a simple Q&A situation where sometimes it's just a good question followed up by another good question. And that can get the ball rolling. And you find out, you determine where they are. You're praying. You're praying for an open door. A time when sharing your faith, it'll just come. It'll just come. A Christian man was looking for an open door, an opportunity to to share Christ with his Muslim friend that he knew. One day the opportunity came. He watched his Muslim friend prepare for prayer. And he went through his ritual. His ritual was every time that he was to pray, he had to wash himself. So he's washing his hands, he's washing his arms, he's washing his face. He's washing just about every external portion of his body. And the Christian friend looked at him, he's, and, and then he, he, he begins. And wait, 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 wait. You, you forgot, you forgot one thing. And the Muslim looking at him, what did I forget? He said, well, dear friend, you forgot to wash your heart. Oh, you silly goose, you. you can't, no one can wash their heart. He said, ah, that's why you need Jesus Christ. Open door. Open door. A washing of the heart that only Jesus Christ can do. Thirdly, thirdly, it's, it's praying for the open door, or praying devoting ourselves to prayer first, then it's praying for an open door. And then, thirdly, it's our, it's our conduct. Our conduct or what we are. The Greek would say, well, you walk, you move, where you go, what you are about, how do you live, how do you conduct yourself. Okay, we, we've prayed, we have the open door. How now will we conduct ourselves? The verse goes on to say that we are to walk, walk in wisdom toward them that are outside. They're, they're outside of Christ. It goes on to further say, be wise then. Use godly wisdom in the way that you act toward them. Why is that? It is because we're on display. You and I, if we're in Christ, and Christ in us, they're watching us. They're watching us with an eagle eye to see if what we say and what we do match. Do we believe one thing and do we live totally opposite? They're watching that. They're watching. Does it match? 
every opportunity. I did the math. I took 17 hours. How many sleep? Seven hours. Try anyway. So that gives us 17 left, right? Okay, good. 17 hours times 60 minutes times seven days a week, 7,140 minutes. Okay, you multiply that times 365 days. How many have 365 days a year? Very good. 372,300 minutes per year. Verse 5. Make the most of every opportunity. Some versions say redeem the time. All of us, the last time I checked, we all have the same amount of time. What do we do with the time God has given us? Thursday, I'm up on the roof, and my time shortened. Just about. When you're shingling, you only go so high if you don't have the special equipment that you need um, to those special deals that go, they slide up underneath the shingles so that you don't mark up the shingles and you, you don't put <clears throat> nail holes in the shingle. Um, so Julie said, Mark, what's plan A? Plan A is to string a ladder all the way across. So I'll, I'll walk the ladder as I've tied it to one end and it'll fit right in the bathroom window. This far short. Mark, what's plan B? Uh, what, hun, what do you have? Oh, I got some nylon rope. Let's, let's, um, I, I, I can rig up something. Right. Um, take, take a two by six, you nail it onto the side of the house. I'm going to wrap this baby and then put a bungee strap around it so I'm not going anywhere. Put six nails into it, tied it onto a little deal that was hanging out our little window, thinking, oh, this, this ought to be good. We'll wrap that baby four times. I'm not going anywhere. Four shingle, three shingles from being done. And I'm, I'm hanging onto the rope. And that little white deal that was solidly put in the wall there, that, that thing just goes. It, it's on the ground. It, it, all my nails and everything else were clunking onto the roof and then hitting the trough and then over the edge. Well, this, this thing, I was pulling on that rope so hard, it just, Lord, I'm ha- all I got is this rope. I'm, I'm praying that it, that it holds me because I'm going down, and I'm going down quickly. But praise the Lord, the rope held, and I'm before you today. <laughs> Thank the Lord. It, it's not that we... It's not that my hope is in the rope, although it's certainly there. (laughs) But it's greater than that, that if I crash, I won't burn. Um, And and that would be hope in Jesus Christ then, that he's holding. He's holding each one of us like that. Redeeming the time. William McDonald said in his commentary that redeeming the time means buying up every opportunity. Whether you're on the roof or you're on the ground, 
and you're solidly on the ground. You make every opportunity. What's he say? He says, redeem the time. You want to buy up. You buy it up. Every day of our lives, we face opportunities to witness to the saving power of Jesus Christ. As these opportunities come along, snatch them up. Snap them up. Get them up. The word buying implies that it's often a price, price involved. But whatever the cost, we should be ready at a moment's notice to share, to share with those, the precious Savior, what He's done for each one of us. To share with those who do not know. We can't be ready. We can't be ready if we haven't prayed first. The cost involved, what's it look like for you and me? What is it? Changing a schedule, maybe? Changing, maybe, maybe it's our perspective that we change. We see, we see lost people as God sees them. Maybe it's that perspective. Maybe it's that outlook. Being willing to step out of, um, step out of like regular routine, maybe or out of our own comfort zone to reach somebody else. What will you and I be willing to pay for someone else's soul? What, it be, what would it be worth to suffer just a little bit? Many people are hopeless on the inside. We may not be able to tell that unless they explain that to us. Are we willing to then ask the good questions to find an opportunity for an open door? What will it cost us? Recently had an opportunity to um, open the sports page, saw a little clip about Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, the famous biter, I mean famous fighter. Um, he said that he's, he's lost his soul as a human being and he hates himself. Maybe in my next life I'll, um, I'll have a better life. Tyson said this in an interview with sports, Fox Sportsnet's Beyond the Glory, which was broadcast um, 11 days ago. And that's why I'm just looking forward then to going to the, another world. Because I really really hate my life. I hate the way I'm living right now. What would my response, what would your response be to Mike Tyson's situation? Brings us to number four then that our speech is able to heal to a certain extent the hurts that Mike Tyson and folks like him are struggling with. Verse 6, Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you would know how to answer everyone. 
Paul says, to be seasoned with salt. And there's all kinds of definitions and things that we could... I just looked up salt, and there's four pages. Let me just give you a simplified version. You know them already, but just a way of remembrance. Salt is a preservative. It's a saving agent. It's a seasoning. How many use salt on everything you eat? A little bit of a little bit of salt is good for you. Not a lot, but a little. Everything in moderation. It's seasoning. It adds flavor. It's an antiseptic. It kills germs. It's a mouthwash. How many, gar- how many gargled this morning? Any garglers? It cleans teeth. Cleans teeth. Salt has um, healing properties. Uh, how many get a sore throat in the wintertime? Any, any sore throats? What do you use? to get rid of your sore throat. Warm water and salt, yes. Uh, That's how I get rid of mine. So then our language, what's our language look like? Our language should be healing, it's saving, it's worthwhile. Our speech should be profitable. Verse 6 then goes on to say that um, we know what we're talking about. And if we know what we're talking about, and our speech is plugged in with what God wants us to say, we will be able to answer everyone who gives us a question about our faith. We have to understand the false teachings and have to discern the true biblical truths. You see, some doctrines take Scripture and they manipulate it just enough that it looks pretty good. But what they've actually done is they've taken the context out of the text, and that's no good. The Colossians were struggling with the heresy and the Gnosticism, which equates the material world with evil and the spiritual realm with good. It is possible that Paul was addressing this problem and that the Colossians, not just the Colossians, but we can bring it right down to where we are, that we need to be ready to answer every false teacher with the truth of God. Therefore, the need for Bible study and wisdom is what Paul is stressing to them and as well to you and to me. How many like a cup of tea? We ain't tea drinkers in here? Okay, let's take the survey. Strong tea. Any strong tea? Weak tea. How do we get weak tea? You weak tea-ers? You get the hot water hot, and you take your bag, and you just dunk, dunk it, dunk, dunk. If you've got one of those see-through mugs, if you can see through that baby, good enough, right? That's that weak tea stuff, and that's, that's fine. Okay, you strong people, what do you do? Dunk it, dunk, 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 
dunk, dunk. Oh, I'm tired of dunking this thing. So you, you leave the tea bag there, and you, you go away for 20 minutes, half hour, 40 minutes, hour later. You come back, and if you've got one of those see-through mugs, and you pick it up, and you go, uh, I can't see through that. That's got to be strong tea. Well, right now, I prefer my tea with uh, lots of ice in it. I mean, it's iced tea now. And what's the best way to make sun, the best sun tea? Sun, use sun tears? Any sun tears? Well, you got to get that big, 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 big thing, and about six bags, and you leave them all in there, and you lots of ice, and you set it outside for one, two, three, four hours. You leave it out there till uh, not mold grows on it, but you you uh, you. Uh, you just leave it out there until it, it's, it's dark, and it's, it's good. Because I pour that in my large mug with uh, lots of ice, and it's, it's the best drink on earth, just about. So it is spiritually as well, that the longer that you and I, we immerse ourselves in God's word, we... We don't stay weak, do we? We have to get stronger. We're immersed, we're there, and, and the longer we stay there, the stronger we get. Happened to be a helicopter, helicopter pilot following one of the major roads where he was flying his helicopter. The closer he got to the ground, not that he wants to be right on the ground, but you, you can see pretty good distance when you're high up in the air. And, um, just want to make sure that if you're being followed by one of these, that they don't have radar. Um, but this helicopter pilot noticed this one particular driver in this car that wanted to, he's trying to avoid slower traffic, and so it's, you know, the two lane, you've got to move out, get get to, and then, get back in. <clears throat> well, this particular driver was struggling because oncoming traffic was just oncoming and he, he, couldn't make the, uh, he couldn't make the pass as well as he wanted to. I may struggle with this coming up in a few weeks as I make my way down to uh, Corpus Christi. But uh, <clears throat> the pilot thought to himself, if I could only communicate, if I could only have dialogue with that fellow in the car, I can see for miles. I can... I'll be able to tell him exactly when to, when to go and, and make the pass, and he'll be all right. If I, could just, if I could just tell him, if I could just show him, guide him. God gives us two guideposts by which we all can operate. It's prayer, and it's his holy word to us, the truth of his word, prayer and his word. With enough of it, being immersed in it, we will be strong enough in character and in our speech that we will be ready when the opportunity presents itself as we've prayed, the open door, and now our character 
is in line with his word as well as our speech. Let's pray together.